This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. I do appreciate you being with me. It is Wednesday, November 4, 2020, day after Election Day, even though we don't have any result yet, but we'll get one. Uh, you, know, you know, it's a wild thing that we've been going through. What really is interesting is how the market's reacting to this, to this, you know, non-decision from the election. I mean, the market was very strong, and it started that way pre-market about 1 or 2 o'clock a.m. How do I know that? Because I was awake. That's how I know that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we don't know who won yet. There's probably going to be litigation. We probably won't know for a, a few days to a week. I don't know. We'll, it may take time. So, therefore, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, and that means the market's going to be volatile. Now, right now, it's up volatility, up very big volatility, up and remember, the market likes, it likes knowing what, it doesn't like change. It doesn't like being surprised. It doesn't like uh, 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 anything that is, is out of the norm. The market likes gridlock in Washington. I think, this is my conclusion, I think it likes the fact that there may be a Democratic president and a Republican Senate. And notice that the House lost, uh, Democrats lost some seats in the House. So the market likes that gridlock. Nothing dramatic is going to happen. So that might be one of the reasons why it's up. I don't know for sure. That's just a speculation on my part. But expect more volatility, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley, and today in this program and podcast, I will do my best to provide you unbiased answers to your financial and investment questions. And I know you want strategies, you want stocks, you want opinions on those things, and that'd be fine. I'll be happy to do that, too. But, of course, remember, this show is a call-in show. So you drive the show. You put it, push it in the direction you want it to go. 888-99-CHART is our number, 888-992-4278, and we're live. Okay, we're live right now, 4 to 5 Pacific time, every Monday through Friday. And how did the market do today? Well, the Dow was up only 121 points, but the NASDAQ was up 430 points. Big tech had a very good day. Big tech and and uh, drug stocks had a very big day today. The S&P was up 74. So what is that telling us? What does that tell us? Is it trying to market trying to tell us something about the election and the economy going forward? The big Dow stocks didn't do it nearly as well as the tech. I'm not sure, I'm not sure I have an answer for that yet. We'll see. Uh, if I do get an answer, I'll, I'll let you know. I promise I will. So how did the market do today? It did very, very well. So let's go ahead and take some calls. We, you know this is a call-in show. We like to move on pretty fast. So here's a call that came in earlier. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Mike from Tracy. I'm looking at LAM Research and wanting to know what's a good entry point for this stock for maybe a long-term hold. So I look forward to hearing it on your podcast. Thanks. Have a great day. Okay. Lamb Research is LRCX. That's the symbol. LRCX. Lamb Research, it's a 54, almost $55 billion company. So it's a very large company. It manufactures 
manufactures etch and cleaning systems used in wafer fabrication equipment for the semiconductor industry. So it's had a good couple, three days here. Of course, it's a $380 stock right now. It's going to make $24.67 next year. It's going to make $22.13 this year. It made $15.93 last year. So it's had some very good, it's having some very good numbers and the stock price has been rising because of that. So now you're at near the 52 week high at 380. It's been there a couple of times and then, and then fell, but maybe it's going to break through this time. Again, as I said earlier, I'm not sure why big tech is working, and this is kind of a big tech stock. So the sales growth has been spectacular, 18% this the most recent, in June quarter, 18%, and the most recent quarter, September, 47% sales growth. Doesn't pay much of dividend, very high return equity, 48%. Cash flow is very good. It has some debt, but not enough to be concerning at all. Uh, mutual funds have been... Pretty steady, not increasing, not selling. So it's a question, of, well, what's the value? Well, it's around, you know, if it's a $380 stock, going to make $24.57. Let's see, was that going to be about 15, 17 PE? And that's right about in the middle of its range. So it's neither cheap nor expensive. So if it breaks above about 380 if it gets into that $400 area, uh, that might be a buy point because that's a breakout, but it hasn't done that yet. Um, I, I think I'd be a little bit patient and see if it breaks out, and then I go ahead and enter if that's this is stock you want to be in. Lamb Research, everybody, you're listening to Invest Talk. I see I'm Steve Peasley, and there's no denying it. The calendar never lies. We are moving through the fourth quarter. I mean, we're a month in, a little over a month into it already. The holiday season is coming up. My favorite holiday, Thanksgiving, is at the end of the month. I love Thanksgiving. So, in the current economic and political and pandemic-infested environment, investors have to be prepared for more volatility. It's going to be more uncertainty. So, we could talk about that. Your participation is very important to the mix of the show. So, give us a call, 888-99-CHART. Fourth quarter's moving fast, there's an autumn chill in the air, and uncertainty in the markets. So you've got finance and investment questions for Steve and Justin. And the phone lines never close. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Appreciate you being with me today. My focus point today. The biggest U.S. banks aren't as strong as they look. So in spite of the boosted capital relief measures that the Fed has done, they're they're just not as strong as they look. How how important is that? Is that why they're underperforming? Because they have been underperforming. So we'll talk about that later on the show today. And coming up, uh, I will give you my opinion of what the bank sector looks like. Should we be investing in it now? That's really the question. Other topics. I want to talk about some of the economic statistics out the statistics out this week. ADP job number, ISM, factory orders, 
PMIs, those kind of numbers. I'll briefly go over a couple, three of them if I can, and tell you what I think about how they are coming. You know, remember, we're recovering from this deep hole, and where are we going, and how does it look? Um, Fed meets tomorrow. Did you remember that? Probably no one knows. Federal Reserve is meeting tomorrow. Usually, that's pretty good news. They're probably not going to do anything. That's maybe why no one's paying attention to it. Um, did you see that there were most of the marijuana stocks went down today despite like five states legalizing it? How come they would go down? And are you ready to retire? You need to ask yourself some questions before you can really decide that. Those are things we'll talk about. But, you know, before we go to that, let, let's grab another question. This call came in early on, and it's on our voice bank line, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. Josh from San Diego. New investor. Had a question. You guys say a stock is going to make money this year, and, you know, they're potentially going to only make, you know, $2 and so on uh, next year. And they have a dividend, for example. So are they making that money per share at the end of the year in addition to uh, whatever the dividend payout, if it has a dividend as well? So, Or is that what you mean uh, in the form of a dividend? That's what it equals is $3 and so much a share or whatever it may be. Uh, appreciate the clarification in advance. All right. Love the show. Okay. Bye. Okay, when I say a company's going to make uh, so much per share next year, that means how much are the company's going to earn per share uh, after all the costs to run the company, basically. So if I say they're going to make $2 a share next year, and I say, oh, they pay a 5% dividend, that percentage is based on the stock price. So if the stock price is $20, and I say, oh, they're going to make a 5% dividend, that means they're going to pay a 5% dividend. That means they're going to pay a, a dollar for the year. Actually, what that meant is they paid 5% last year, right? Because no one knows how much the dividend, they got to declare the dividend going forward. And they don't do that. Anyways, so I don't want to confuse it. So it's it's 5%, uh, if it's a 5% dividend, it's a 5% of the existing, the stock price at that time, at that day. So if it's $20 a stock, I'm saying, oh, they're going to pay 5% dividend because they paid 5% last year. You assume they're going to pay 5% again. That'd be a dollar. So that has nothing to do with the earnings per share. They have, If they earn $2, that means they're going to pay a dollar of that $2 out in a dividend. That's what that means. Okay, so... It's going to, they'll put in their pocket a dollar and pay to the, to the stock shareholders the other dollar if they're paying a 5% dividend and it's a $20 stock. That's what it would be. So whenever I say they're paying a certain percent dividend, it's based on the current stock price. Whenever I say they're going to earn X dollars per share based on the, the estimate they think they're going to make, the experts are making that estimate. Okay. Okay, my focus point today, the biggest banks, U.S. banks, aren't nearly as strong as they look. Now, what's happened, they look pretty healthy. The banks look pretty healthy right now. Um, But they've been boosted, their healthiness. Just do you remember how the banks got in trouble in 2008? Bad loans usually drive the banks, can drive the banks into bankruptcy. And since then, there's been rules changes that make them carry more um, more liquid assets on their books. 
It's called, it's a leverage ratio. Okay. Uh, the leverage ratio at end of June averaged about two percentage points. Okay. Uh, but the actual number without all the, without some of the hijinks that's going on, and I don't want to say nothing's illegal here, is 0.84. It's not nearly as strong. Uh, because of what the Federal Reserve is doing. Federal Reserve is buying all kinds of assets, so it buys from the banks mortgages and things, and that puts cash on the bank's books, and the, the Federal Reserve takes the asset onto their books, okay, the Federal Reserve books. So the Federal Reserve has been re- increasing its, uh, its um, balance sheet because it's taking it, buying it from the banks. And that's boosting their health when you talk about their leverage. Okay? Now, the banks, because of COVID, are writing off more and more and more loans. So what's happening is their loan loss provisions are growing and have massively increased at the same time, they're cash holdings because of, uh, and treasuries because of what the Federal Reserve is doing. So the banks are not as healthy as they look because loans are not as good as they appear. And a lot of the loans are selling off to the Federal Reserve. Does that mean we should avoid banks? Well, it means you should be very careful and look at the capital levels of the banks that you're buying. How much money do they have? How much is liquid? How many loans outstanding and how good are those loans? It's not easy to analyze. Trust me in this. It is not. But you're going to, so if you can't do that work, you probably should stay away from the banks for the time being. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant is always, always present. It's essential. You've got to manage your fear. You've got to manage your greed. You've got to be vigilant, just the way it is. So maybe we should talk about that. Your participation is important. We are taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Got a question for Steve or Justin? I'm wondering what out there is going to work better over the next 20 years than buy and hold. You're the best person to ask it at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Doug from Georgia. I'm looking at the Vanguard Value Index Fund. It's an ETF. The symbol is VTV. I'm looking at it as a value play. So I know that uh, we kind of talked about on your show about going more toward value stocks. So this is an ETF that kind of does that for me. Uh, looking at annual dividend is 2.97 uh, today and expense ratio of 0.04%. So it uh, looks good to me, but I just wanted to get your advice. Uh, long-time listener, and thanks in advance for any help. Yes, I like it. It's Vanguard Value ETF. ETF seeks to retrace the performance of the 
CRSP U.S. large cap value index, which measures the investment return. So it's tracking a large cap value stocks. So I like that. I like where that is. I think that's a smart place to be. Uh, It has fallen down to about $101 or so twice in the recent couple of months. And every time it's done that, it's bounced up. But it also has a lot of overhead resistance, about, about $109 Sure, it's been there three times in the last year and can't seem to get above it. So it's moved from in the last four days from that 102, 101, $102 to 106. So it's right in the middle. You might want to wait for a breakout above 109 to buy it or a pullback to 102. Or if you don't want to be that you know specific about where to buy something, you can. I like the I like the position. So, yes, I, I, I think as a value portion of your portfolio, it's a good one. I did notice growth stocks out, out, much, much outperformed much more than on value stocks today. And I'm wondering, I'm, try, I'm still trying to analyze why that might be the case, but we'll see. Okay, from time to time, I think it's important to remind listeners that here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. And this is very good for our listeners and clients. Why? Because we offer unbiased guidance. We do our own work. We participate in parallel investing, meaning I buy the same things for myself as I do for my clients in all my programs. We have five programs. Um, so we do we implement them for ourselves. And at the same time, we buy and sell the same things for our clients. I think that's important. I really do. So we offer a free portfolio review. You know I've said that many times. Uh, if you want to, if you want to meet with me, Justin, via Skype, Jive, we'll be our telephone. We'll be happy to do that. Just send me a message through investtalk.com an email, and we'll definitely get a hold of you. We'll give you a call. We'll be in touch. There's no obligation. You know, like most of my competitors, you know, for us to take a look at your portfolio. There's no obligation. Unlike other competitors, I don't try to talk into anything. It's just not just not our method. We don't do it. We'd like to help you. So let's keep moving. Here comes a caller question from Florida. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Greg. I'm calling from Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I was calling with a question about um, IRAs versus just an, uh, an external brokerage account. Um, I'm 27 years old, and I have an IRA that I contribute to monthly. Um, but I was wondering if it even makes sense for me to have a separate brokerage account outside of that if I'm not already maxing out my IRAs. So basically, does it, should I be maxing out my IRAs before I even bother setting up and investing with a separate brokerage account? Look forward to your answer on the podcast. Thanks. The answer is yes. Max out that IRA first because it's tax deferred and we love not paying taxes. So if you put, you max, what is it, $6,500 this year or $6,000? I'm not sure. Because um, they change. And I don't keep track of that stuff. Um, but you want to max it out uh, every year if you can. Because that you get to deduct that from your adjusted gross income so you don't have to pay income tax on $6,000. Why would you not? You can do anything in an IRA. You can do in a, in a regular account except one thing. You can't take the money out until you reach retirement age. You got to leave it alone. Okay, so that's good. Because you don't want to touch it. You don't want to be tempted to touch it. One of the biggest problems we have today is retirees don't have hardly any money to retire on. It's a big problem. 
And you don't want to be that when you get to a my age. Okay, you don't want to be in that boat. You want to be in a boat that says, yeah, I can retire and I'm be, I should have a pretty comfortable lifestyle because I can live off my investments in Social Security or pension or whatever else you might have. Okay, so yeah, max out your IRA. I think that's smart. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Well, um, I don't know when we're going to have a decision from the politicians. It's coming. But for who won who won the presidency, but we still have to address the issue of managing our money. So doesn't mean you know whatever happens, you know what? No matter who wins, there's going to be a big spending package coming down the road, a stimulus package. How big and how long it will take to get here? I I say it's going to be fairly soon, next couple three months, and it's going to it's going to be over a trillion, probably under three trillion, depending. I'm, I'm betting about one and a half to two, somewhere in that range, which is going to be very beneficial for the stock market. Now, we do not, ha- we do not have the final account or f- a, a voter account or the turnout, but it is looking like the 2020 presidential election had the biggest participation percentage ever, at least since the turn of the century in 1900. Pretty amazing, huh? So let's go to break. Here's my trivia question. Looking back... In the country's history, do you think a larger percentage of the eligible voting population came out in the presidential election of 1860 when Lincoln won, or 1960 when Kennedy won? Which was the biggest one? Okay, I'll have the answer for you right after the break. 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, 
AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Look at the calendar. We are into November and on our way to Thanksgiving and then Christmas. Of course, the holidays may look a little different this year. But now, you've got finance and investment questions. Steve and Justin welcome your calls. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART. So I asked a trivia question before the break. It was about the election and turnout. Okay, looking back in the country's history, do you think a larger percentage of the eligible voting population came out in the, this presidential election versus the 1860 election when Lincoln won or maybe the 1960 election when Kennedy won? Okay, here's some uh, the, here's the, here's here's the history. The history of voter turnout, participation percentage in the United States during presidential election is a long story, but I will touch on touch on it briefly. In the early years, of the country's independence, only property-owning white males over age 21 could vote. Did you know that? That's when we started this country. You had to be an owner of property, be white, and a male. So that's changed, of course. Now we have a voting base has been expanded. The passage of the 15th Amendment to the United States Constitution, 1870, gave African-American men the right to vote. Then the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote, the suffrage movement. That was in 1920, okay? So those are some of the statistics. The earliest surviving turnout data for the U.S. president election dates to 1828. In 1828, only 57.6% of the eligible population voted. In 1860, 40, 32 years later, when Abraham Lincoln was elected, it was 81.2% of the eligible populate, voting on population voted. In 1960, when John Kennedy was elected, it was 62.8%. So this may be surprising, but yes, there was higher turnout in 1860. In 2008, 57%. 2016, 55%. So what about 2020? We don't know yet. We don't have the numbers yet. But I will give them to you. We don't have the numbers. Okay, let's keep moving. Here comes a question from listener from Alabama. Yes, my name is Jason from Birmingham, Alabama. I have a question. I'm only able to save approximately $200 a month, which I've been putting into a commission-free ETF to the point where I want to start looking at stocks. My question is, how many shares should you buy at one time? My trade fee is $7, so to buy and then when I time to sell will be a $14 commission um, at $200 a month. If I bought a good $50 stock, you're looking at four shares, and that's $7 per trade. So my question is, how many shares per stock should I buy 
to cover the commission trade and approximately what price range. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, you should not be paying any commissions at all, any trade fees at all. If well, Whoever you're with is charging a trade fee, move to a company that has none. Okay, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, there are, there's, there's a lot. I, I don't know if E-Trade does or not. I haven't looked them up. But there's a lot of custodians that don't charge anything for trading. If you have a small account, you don't want to be trading stocks with a fee. Okay? Now, as a general rule, you want to have enough, a big enough portfolio to buy maybe 5% of each position, 5% at most of each position. So you're going to have at least 20 positions, 20, you know, how, how many positions do you, I don't like to see anybody have under 15, 18 positions. 20 is what I'm comfortable with. We always carry about 30. That means 3% or so per share, 3% of your portfolio. But if you're a small portfolio, you can do 5% because you want to have proper diversification in the stocks. If you can't do that, for whatever reason, stick with the ETFs. It gives you proper diversification. Okay? So those are some of the rules of the thumb there for you. 888-99 chart, everybody. The ADP number came out. This is the ADP jobs report this week. They said, that, remember, this is for private sector jobs only. They said they, that we produced uh, last month 365,000 new jobs. The month before was 753,000, so it's going down. But 365,000 is a good number. If we were in a normal economic environment, that would be a very good number, but we're not. The ISM Services, Institute of Supply Management Services Index, showed 56.6%. Anything above 50 is expanding is an expanding economy. So it's 56.6. So that's good. It was 57.8 the month before. That's the service sector. If you look at the manufacturer sector, it's 59.3 and 55.4 the month before. That's the ISM. PMI Services was 56.9. Uh, up a little bit from 56 the month before. Factory orders were up 1.1%. They were up six tenths of a percent the month before. Now, I'm listing these numbers, and they're still very good and still uh, improving. The economy is still improving. But what I've noticed in the numbers, as you study them, and of course, you know I do study them because I'm a nerd, uh, they are slowing down. Now, they probably there could be there are two reasons for the slowdown. They're still good though. Don't I don't want you to misinterpret this. They're still good, but the the speed of recovery is slowing down. It looks like to me. We're going to get the jobs report out, the official jobs report out this week by on Friday. So that'll be interesting. Why is it slowing down? One, the stimulus money from the previous package is running out. It's already ran out. So there's not much stimulus from that anymore. Two, um, it's a natural consequence when economy is growing 33% as it did in that second quarter, that would normally slow down, even in a normal world. But I, I'm really concerned because the COVID cases are increasing, even though it looks like the death rate is coming down sharply from a percentage pain, per, per, tell, telling me that the, maybe the treatments are, are getting better. But I'm worried that with these COVID cases increasing, are cities, counties, states going to reshut down? I think it's a mistake. 
from an economic point of view, I think it's a mistake. From a health concern, I'm not an expert in that area, but I have talked to several people that I know that are doctors in the area, and they don't think shutting down will help at all. They don't think that helps. Um, they think, I hate to tell you this, they feel, the people I've talked to, uh, uh, and he, he's a, the one specific, specific person I talked to, uh, is an expert in poisons and diseases. He said that um, COVID, uh, will, is just, we're just all going to have to learn to live with it. That's what he said. He said, even if we get a vaccine, won't destroy COVID. It'll probably mutate. And it'll become like a flu. The thing that we need to do is just keep improving the treatments, which he said we are doing. And they are, there are some good treatments out there now. And it's just going to be have something we have to live with. That's what he said. So he had some interesting things about masks, too, which, you know, because I asked him. I'm a busy buddy. Anyway, so that's the economic numbers. The thing that will hurt us is if we reshut down uh, the economies of various parts of the country. That's going to hurt the economy and jobs and all those things that we all rely on. Okay, this is Invest Talk. We often get questions about Amazon, right? I mean, everybody wants to know. So let's take one now. I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering about this one. Hi, Steve. Uh, Dave from San Leandro. Love your show. It's a great show. Just a couple quick questions. When you short a stock, is there a time limit when you're going to redeem it, uh, when you're going to buy to close? Also, is this a good time entry point for Amazon? What is your feeling on that? Thank you, sir. When you're selling a stock short, that means you're borrowing the stock from somebody else into your portfolio, selling it, okay, selling it, so the money goes into your portfolio at that set price. You're hoping that it'll go down in price, whatever that stock is, so that you can buy it back and give it back to the person you borrowed it from. And then you get the pocket the profit if it goes down. If it goes up, you lose money. Now, he's asking, if I short a stock, is there a time limit that I have to buy it back and give it back to where I borrowed it for? And the answer is no. You can stay in a short all long as you want. Okay? Now, what will what will happen is if it works against you, in other words, it keeps going up and up and up and up, and you're short, and you need to go down and down and down and down to make money, and you just stay in that short. You can have unlimited losses if the stock continues to go up forever. And at some point, the brokerage house would say, you need to get out of this because you're losing too much money, and you don't have enough money in your portfolio to cover all that loss. So that's what could happen. Okay, Amazon, you wanted an entry point for Amazon. I think you buy it here. I really do. It's it's up big today. It's up 6% today. Uh, it bounced off of 3000 It's at $3,241 today, up $192 today. Um, I think this is where you buy it because that 3000 number seemed to be a good buy point. Okay, maybe, maybe it'll pull back and come for you a little bit tomorrow or the next day, but I think this is the, an entry area that you'd want to be in it from a technical point of view on the stock chart. Okay? Appreciate you. Appreciate the question. Amazon, A-M-Z-N, everybody, if you don't know the symbol. Okay, let's go take a live call. Farhan in Sacramento. How you doing, Farhan? Hi, Steve. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my Thank question you. Is, 
my question is more i guess is a generic question on acquisition uh aim i i own xilinx shares amd is purchasing xilinx at a price tag of 35 billion and uh, certain exchange ratio it's an all stock it's an uh, all stock uh, deal now okay. when such a deal happens uh, what remains constant the the price tag or the exchange ratio because amd stock is going to fall um and because they're diluting the shareholders to issue new shares so um, does the ratio of shares change or the price gets lowered to reflect this drop in amd's price okay that's a very good question farhan and what he's talking about everybody now let me i'm going to try to simplify it for everybody uh so stock a amd advanced micro devices is buying uh who are they buying xilinx Okay, so they're buying Xilinx for $35 billion, okay? And they're going to buy it with shares of AMD stock. They're not going to buy it with cash that AMD has for $35 billion. They're going to issue a bunch of more stocks, $35 billion worth, for the for Xilinx and take it under AMD. In other words, so whoever owns Xilinx now becomes AMD, okay? Now, what is the price? Is $35 billion. What does that do to the stock price of Xilinx versus the stock price of advanced micro devices? Normally, the company is buying another company. The stock price will go down. In this case, it would seem logical because they're issuing a bunch of more stock. So, diluting everybody else, all the existing shareholders. But at the same time, remember, they're getting also a big asset. They're getting this big asset called Xilinx. So, the, the, it's whether the stock goes down or up for AMD depends on what investors think of the deal. If they think it's a bargain, the stock actually will go up. If they think it's way too expensive, advanced micro device stock will go down. Okay? So, when the deal closes, whenever that is, let's say you know the, the, the deal is going to close a month from now, It'll be at that stock price at that time, and Xilinx may say, "No, we want forty billion," or they say, "We might accept thirty-two billion," depending on the stock price. AMD moved up or down, right during that period before the closes. Right now, the deal is thirty-five billion dollars. Okay, so normally, as I said, the buying stock, the stock that's doing the buying, would go down. Unless the investors think the deal is a good deal, then it will go up. So it, there is no fast and hard rule that it will always go down or always go up. It's how good of the acquisition is it, if it, you know, and what's the perception of the quality of that acquisition. Okay, appreciate the call. Thank you. AMD is is uh, advanced micro devices. I'm Steve Peasley. I'm Steve Peasley. And you're investing, you're listening to Invest Talk. Let me get rid of this. Something's in my way on my screen. So obviously you, you understand the importance of unbiased guidance and hopefully that's why you, you listen to our show and ask your questions. I encourage you to consider subscribing to our KPP premium newsletter. Uh, I write that and distribute it every Friday to all our clients and to anybody who subscribes. So in the newsletter, you'll get lots of valuable information, market analysis, portfolio management guidance, a couple stock ideas. I mean, every week, every week. So that's investtalk.com. Investtalk.com. That's where you can subscribe. And now I'm ready to take your questions. 888-99-CHART. 
managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART, everybody. And as I mentioned, Fed meeting tomorrow. We'll see some results. Nothing's probably going to happen. Uh, and did you notice that five states in this election, five states passed uh, uh, legislation legalizing marijuana? New Jersey, Arizona, South Dakota, Montana, Mississippi. Why did the stocks go down? All the stocks went down, marijuana stocks. Maybe because it's still illegal federally. Maybe that's why. You know, it's not, it, even if a state legalizes it, there are federal laws that find it illegal. I think eventually we'll be moving toward legalizing marijuana everywhere. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I think that's where it's moving toward. Okay? This is Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley, and we have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve financial freedom, to help you get to that point. So we will continue our work right after this break. 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Steve Peasley is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, fabulous Invest Talk, Justin and Steve. I have a question about robo-advisors. I'm going into retirement, and I'm wondering about the value of robo-advisors. What are the pros and cons of using a robo-advisor type service? Thank you. Well, one of the benefits is very inexpensive. Uh, you don't. You just do. It, it, it's robotic. You don't have to. You don't have to make any decisions once you pick a robo advisor that you like. Uh, the disadvantage is, especially if you're going into retirement, you might ha- want or may not want the risk that they're taking for you. So you got to find one that has less risk, and it's going to be difficult to do that, understanding what kind of risk they're going to take. So you need to talk to a, a registered investment advisor like ourselves, and you can talk to someone like me or anybody else at no cost, and but make sure you don't, you know, you talk to the right one, uh, that will advise you on the kinds of risks that you should take in retirement. And they'll ask questions like, well, how much money do you have? How much money do you need? How much do you need to withdraw from this? And when do you need to start withdrawing? Um, and, and so your nest egg is important to you. You don't want to risk it. So use a robo-advisor. Robo There's nothing wrong with it per se, but when a person starts reaching retirement age, you got to you got to take into consideration the risks that you're with the investments that you're making. You don't. You got to invest. Take much less risk with that money, okay? Because you can't now that you're retired. You can't earn it back, and you don't have enough time to do that. Okay, so be very careful. And again, there's nothing wrong with robo advisors, uh, but you have to understand the risk that you're taking. And I'm sure there's robo advisors out there that have less risky assets, but I don't know who they are, and you would have to determine that. Okay. 
888-99-CHART, everybody. That's the number. We're live. Appreciate all the calls. Thank you very much. Okay, I have a question. Are you ready to retire? I, I, I need you. How do you know? There are certain things you need to know. Like, where are you going to live in retirement? Are you going to stay in the house that you're in or the place that you're in and you know what that cost is going to be? Are you going to move to someplace more expensive or less expensive? How much is that cost going to be in retirement? Do you have a mortgage? You shouldn't have a mortgage in retirement. It's, remember, you have no active income to pay for that. Do you have uh, how much How much are you going to get in Social Security? Do you know how much you're going to get in Social Security? And when should you take it? Do you know uh, how much you'll get at what time in Social Security? Are you going to take it at your full retirement age, which I think most people are 67 today? Or are you going to wait till 70 where you get more money per month? Or are you going to buy it, take it early? You can take it as early as what, 59 and a half? You'll get less money, about a third less than full retirement age. How much money is that that you can add to whatever else money your income you're going to have in retirement? And is that enough? Do you have enough savings to support your lifestyle? What are your monthly expenses? Do you know? Do you know what your outgo is, your income is? You'd be surprised if people don't really figure this out before they retire. you got to do the math. You just have to. Don't try to guess. And, you know, don't think of retirement as a specific action. A lot of people think, well, I'm going to retire at age such and such. Well, are you going to completely retire, partially retire, work some? What are you going to do with your time? These are all crucial questions to ask yourself. And it's hard. I have a best, my best friend in Boston, and he's making these hard decisions on when to retire. His is nothing, nothing to do about money. It's more about do about, well, if he retires because he's a pretty high up executive in a big company, and he wants to know, does is that how he's defined? If he doesn't have this job, does his his kind of self worth in his own mind does that go down and it's kind of a good question i think because you know you're defined by your work a lot and so now you're going to stay home what are you going to do help your wife do the housework or help your husband do the housework what what are you going to do yeah you got to ask these questions kind of interesting Okay, I'm Steve Peasley. This completes another Investop program. I will return on Friday with highlights from the newsletter, the KPP newsletter. In the meantime, please tell your friends and family about Investop. We have over 100 archived Investop podcasts free for downloading. You can do it at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Investop.com. So, we'd love for you to do that. And remember, we also stream our program live each weekday at the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time at Investop.com. Remember, independent thinking, shared success. This is Talk. Good night, everybody. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, 
Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. That's 